Johnson, and I serve with Kyle at Austin Peay State University, which is a little bit north of Nashville. Uh, a little bit about me, so I am 38, 38. Uh, I spent a whole year <laughs> telling people that I was the wrong age. Um, not on purpose, just because I didn't realize I was the wrong age. So that was really a lot of fun, but I am 38, and I've been 38 all year, and I will continue to be 38 yeah. until my birthday, which it'll change. Um, I'm married. I'm married. Um, I've convinced a beautiful lady to love me with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and we've made babies. We have two babies. We have two babies. I have a young little dude. His name is Cole. He is three years old. Friends, he is incredible. He is incredible. He is in that stage. Like, when I was a single person, I would always, like, judge the parents that weren't, like, patient with their kid when it was going through the why stage. You guys all seen kids when they go through the why stage? You all judge parents when they're impatient. How dare you? Okay, so now that I'm in that stage with my kid and he's asking me why all the time, I just want to shake his little fat jiggly cheeks off. Because what I didn't know as a single person, I'm dreadfully aware of now, is the answer never matters to him. It doesn't. He just wants to ask why. And I'm like, Cole, I told you the answer to that question literally four seconds ago. And he's like, why? <laughs> I love you. I'm gonna. And we've got a daughter. Um, her name is Amada. She is 10 months old. And um, dudes in the room, if you decide to procreate, just know that if you have a little female person, um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a thing. So Cole, great. We're we're bros, and everything is fantastic. Like I am completely unprepared for this little girl. Just to be honest. So if you guys see us in the news. I warned you, but she, she does this thing, and she goes, and I'm like, stop it, don't, don't, please just stop, I don't know, and she's 10 months, friends, I don't know, like, the extent of her, like, manipulative intentions yet, but, geez, I'm in so much trouble, but I love her, I love her also, and I feel like she's going to be able to get me to do whatever the heck she wants me to, um, and that's frightening to me. But I love my family. My wife is Colombian. We met on a missions trip. So um, any single guys, just go on a missions trip. Find a good baby lady. Actually, that sounds so shady. And I was like, I'm not trying to be that guy. But I just went and she was incredible. She was so incredible. Um, the way that she loved Jesus, I was like, no offense, I didn't see, see no white girls doing that. She was just like, she loved Jesus. I'm like, Come home with me. And she did. And it's been fantastic since, like, love my family. But I, I think even though I've, I've just pressed all of that, if, if you're in a space where you're a single human and you don't have 15 kids or anything, like, love that season. Um, I, spent, I was talking earlier that I spent more time as a single person than as a married person, and I wouldn't change a day of it. So you get to see all of these people in ministry that are all, like, decked out with these extensive families and all this stuff, and it becomes, like, the picture to achieve, this isn't what we're actually talking about tonight. They just gave me a mic, so I'm rambling. So, but, but you can enjoy and celebrate the awesome season that you're in now as a single person. Cool? It's rich. It's beautiful. It's not something to be, like, bolting through. It's not something just to finish. Um, it's rich and it's meaningful. So don't feel like that you have to have this or that in order to be deeply satisfied or used by Jesus. Cool? So I got started in Pi Alpha. I had the privilege of pioneering at Austin P. I was a church dude, so I worked on church staff for a while, and I felt like the Lord was like, hey, go do Pi Alpha. And I was like, sure, what's Pi Alpha? Did a 10-month internship at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Changed my life, guys. Absolutely changed my life. If you guys are even remotely interested in doing really meaningful things for Jesus post-college, you're happy, honey, you should find CMIT. You should just do it. You should just do it. It'll be one of the few windows in your entire life when you have like a year that's unstructured. You're going to start an occupation. You're going to start doing all kinds of other things. And it's going to be really tough to, to squeeze in something like that. And whether you choose to do Kyle for the rest of your life or just those 10 to 12 months, that CMIT is going to serve you well. And it, it jacked me up. So we came to Austin P. We pioneered. And it's been so much fun. Um, I did such a great job after my first year on campus. Like, I was just like, I'm going to disciple these guys, and I'm all hyped up, and I'm, I'm ready, and I'm just, I'm going to teach them everything I know about discipleship, and 
I was asking the Lord for vision for what was I supposed to do. How was I, I was going to reach this campus? And he's like, Jonathan, I want you to reach seven students. It's like, all right, Lord, I've got that. But seven and what else? And he's like, just seven. I'm like, no, no, there's got to be more than this vision. And whatever, he's like, seven. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. We're going to do seven. So my first year, I poured my guts into these seven students. Taught them everything I knew about discipleship. And I did such a great job listening to this. And I don't know, this is why I'm doing this talk right now. I did such a good job reaching and discipling those students that after the first year out of the seven, only two of them wanted to have anything to do with college. <laughs> it was great. It was really, really good. It was really good. So I left that first year just like, a stinking college students. I don't want to be around these suckers. They don't lift me. I was just upset. Um, and disappointed, and I had left a great job, I'd sold my home, I'd moved across the whatever, and then moved back, and like it, honestly, like it was heartbreaking, it was heartbreaking, I laugh about it now, I'm like, idiot, but like in the moment, like it was heartbreaking, and I didn't want to have anything to do with university students, I love being outside, so I decided, you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to go on a backpacking trip, so the university was hosting a backpacking trip, I knew the dude that was running it with the university, a staff person, not a student, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be selfish for a couple weeks out in the woods. I'm going to hike 100 miles on the AT, and I'm just going to have a good time. So I'm not going to be a missionary there. I'm not going to be a, an evangelist. I'm not going to be a disciple maker. I'm not going to I'm just going to be me for a little bit on this trip. So I do that, and I have full intention of just being selfish and just being me. So we're hiking, and everybody's got their own pace. They say when you hike, hike your own hike. So you go at whatever pace you need to, and mine just happens to be vigorous. So... Um, it was easy for me to ignore the handful of students that were on the trip because I would just be out doing my thing. Cool. There was this guy at the back of the, the line of people hiking. We'd all get to camp, and we'd stay at the same camp, and then we'd continue forward. His name was Corey. So we're hiking, and I noticed there's this dude, Corey, and he's at the back. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't have any desire to talk to you. So we do our days, and we're going through, and then on like the second to last day, Sucker that's been tracking in the back the whole time is like pacing with me. And I'm just trying to still be selfish and get away. And um, in the midst of our hiking and walking around, he's like, hey, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, sure, sure. And he's like, so I, I've, been, um, I've been living with my girlfriend for um, about six years now. Um, we, we sleep together and stuff. Um, am I going to go to hell? And I'm like, I tried to get away from all this stuff. What are you doing? Bring this guy from the back of the line. Seriously. Like, even in that, like, really ripe moment to speak into this dude, I'm still selfish. And I'm like, Corey, I don't, I don't think so, dude. I don't think sex before marriage is God's plan for you, but I believe that that if you decide to begin trusting him with your life and walk away from that, that, that he's got really great things for you. And he said, huh, okay. And then nothing else. <laughs> nothing else the whole rest of the hike. We do our hike, we finish, nothing. First day we're on campus, he shows up and he's, he's, he's like racing across the university plaza. He sees me with a group of people and he's like, hey, Jonathan, hey, come on, Corey, remember it? I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. And uh, he's, started to hang out, and then continued to hang out, and then continued to hang out, and continued to hang out. And he was just showing up to all of the things that wouldn't stop showing you, know, right? You understand how that goes. He just kept showing up and wanted to be a part of things, and then eventually, he got to a moment, we had a conversation, and he just he gave his heart to Jesus. He just was like, man, I, I want to trust Jesus, and I'm not just afraid that, that I'm going to that I'm going to go to hell, but like, I, I sincerely want to know this guy that I see in all of your lives. And um, it was interesting because he got to the space where he was willing to trust Jesus before he was willing to stop sleeping with his girlfriend, which, depending upon what your theology is, like, I'm going to work that out, work that out. I'm not endorsing sleeping with your girlfriend, but I believe that your behavior transformation is going to follow your heart transformation. Yeah. I'm not trying to clean up your clothes before we talk about your heart. Cool? So he's committed to Jesus, and he, he uh, and I serve him one-on-ones, right? So we're doing one-on-ones. And one morning, this is so annoying, one morning I'm praying, and ordinarily I don't pray with my phone anywhere near me. I feel like it is like a death trap, like it's just so distracting. So I'm going to like lock it up somewhere else. But for some reason my phone is near me, and some reason it's not on silent. 
But I'm just praying. I'm on the floor. I'm on the face. And that's just what I was doing. I'm talking to Jesus. My phone starts to buzz. I'm distracted. And I flipped over. And I see Corey's texting me. And he's like, hey, uh, can we talk? And like a good campus pastor, I said, we have a one-on-one on Wednesday. <laughs> and he replies, it's important. Can we talk today? I'm like, and uh, I'm just talking to the Lord, and I try to ignore Corey, and um, I hear the Lord say, hey, you need, you need to talk to him about moving out and not sleeping with his girlfriend anymore. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be that religious guy that's coming at him with all this, like, check this box. Like, I don't want to be that guy. If you, if you want me to have that conversation with him, you need to have him bring it up. And I'm like, I don't know that I like endorse that kind of conversation with the Lord. Like, you don't shouldn't make demands of the Lord. But for the reason, I felt like that was a good move in that moment. So it's like, if you want me to do it, you make him bring it up. So I show up to that one-on-one with Corey, not on Wednesday. And he's like, bro, you won't believe this. Like, I feel like the Lord spoke to me. I need to move out. Would you marry us? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I will. So he uh, he doesn't actually move out. She moves out, and he didn't kick her out. It was, it was it was solid. So she moves out, and before long, like I perform their ceremony, and um, he joined our team and served on staff for a while. Radically transformed kind of dude. So I tell you the whole story, then ask you this question to consider: Was that a story about evangelism or a story about discipleship, and why? Evangelism, why? He says he's going to go with evangelism because proper evangelism consists of discipleship. You want to come through this talk? No. <laughs> All right. I see you. I see you. Other thoughts? Evangelism or discipleship and why? Yeah, girl, get in there. What do you think?
faith-sharing people in the hopes that somehow we might be able to corral people. And basically what that is, when we, when we invite people to things and we don't reveal that we're people of faith and that there will be a presentation of faith at that thing, basically what we're doing is we're kingdom manipulators. And I don't know if you've read your Bible, that's not in there. It's a, a bait-and-switch tactic. Basically what it says is, I'm going to offer you something that I think you might like. You'd like the idea of a party. Come, come, precious. And then when you get there, it's like, I gotcha! Here's the gospel! Like, that's wrong. It's just wrong. What I'm not saying is that the moment that we see people or that we want people to spend time with us, we get that big old King James Bible, we go, bang, how you like me now? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we need to be more honest and more transparent. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that everybody does all of these things all the time, but the purpose for this breakout this morning is being able to identify that evangelism and discipleship are mutually inclusive and that they happen together. And sometimes we can kind of just lean more one way and miss the value of the others. And part of the way that we find ownership in all of this is that as individuals committed to God, we substitute our agenda for his, right? When we make a commitment to God, we substitute our agenda for the Father's. And that's what he, Eli was talking about um, yesterday morning, right? This whole idea of lordship, and I won't, won't even begin to try to touch it. Obviously, he's a boss and did it great. But when we commit our lives to God, we communicate that we're not just looking for a sugar daddy God, right? That's going to fix all of our problems. We're communicating that I will need your voice to provide wisdom and direction for my life. So when God says go and, we say here we go and. So all of us have to find ourselves in the Great Commission if we choose to find ourselves in Jesus. We can't find ourselves in Jesus as a space just to feel good or to feel satisfied without also finding ourselves in the commission of his heart. It's really difficult, I think, in any kind of relationship. Think about it practically. Like that if I, if I love Neely, Neely is an awesome lady on my staff team. If Neely loves cats. So all of you friends in the room that love cats, you know infinitely, you immediately have like affinity with Neely because she loves cats also. But, but all you suckers in the room that want to start judging Neely because you don't like cats, you need to know you need to go through me first. Because I don't particularly care about cats, but I love Neely. So I'm going to come in line with some of the things that Neely cares about. And I'm going to be on the team. So we understand that principle that Neely and I would have a lot of friction in our lives if I was consistently like at like anti-cat rallies and stuff, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, she's cuddling them, she's, she's dressing them up, and she's got Instagrams for them. Like We would have friction in our relationship, and likewise with the Father. We aren't going to be effective in growing in that relationship if the burdens of the Father aren't becoming our burdens also. But here's the problem, and it's a real honest kind of problem. So during one of my first years of discipleship, I was, I was meeting with this student, and let's call him Frank, all right? So I'm meeting with Frank, and I, I noticed like through the course of our time together, Frank never invited anyone to small group. And Frank never was like sharing his faith with anyone. He was like a Christian kid, like he knew all the rules, he knows you're supposed to do those things, and had been showing up and doing all the things, and allegedly had committed his life to Jesus and all that stuff, all right? But I don't see those things happening in Frank's life. So I show up to a one-on-one -on -one, one day and I'm like, Frank, are there are there people in your life that you feel like would benefit from coming to small group? He's like, Yeah, I think so. And I was like, Frank, do you, do you feel like there are people in your life that would benefit from hearing about your faith? And he's like, I, I think so. And I was like, Frank, do you share with them? Do you invite people to your small group? And he's like, Jonathan, I don't really want to. And I was honestly, honestly, I was really challenged in that moment. I'm like, you don't want to? <laughs> and I don't know, I think that if we we kind of get honest with ourselves a little bit, maybe some of us in this room, when we think about sharing our faith, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but maybe sometimes we just don't want to. And I think that's an unfortunate but honest space to be in. That sometimes some of the commandments of Scripture aren't things that we're like, you know what, I'd love to sell everything and 
give to the poor and follow Jesus. Like sometimes we just don't want to. But the cool thing about the Lord isn't that that has to be the end of the story. And I think Frank was deciding that it would be the end of the story for him. I just don't want to. But for us, there's really, really good news. And before I get to that, I, I want to share that on today's campus, it's really, really like mainstream for people to want to have very deep conviction for something before they do anything, right? Like that's really, really common. Speak your truth, live by your truth. And I think if I was going to be honest with you if, you, if you fully dive into that, it can get a little messy. But for the most part, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad that we have a generation that wants to feel things deeply and then act according to those deep convictions. That sounds like a great recipe for a disciple to me. And what's really great is that Jesus isn't, he's not a puppet master, he's a transformer of truth. So if we have a generation that is primed to obey and to walk in accordance with their truth, our job isn't to make them behave a different way, it's to lead them to the truth changer. So as they begin to meet Jesus, I don't want to share my faith, not a problem. Why don't you spend some time with Jesus? Why don't you begin to follow after Jesus? And I can guarantee you one of two things will happen. Either one, your truth will be transformed. Or you won't be able to follow him anymore, in which case I can't do anything about that. So if any of you guys are in this space or you're discipling people that, that struggle to to want to. I don't think that that's an end all. I don't think that's a deal breaker. I think that that's just an honest reality that we can spend more time with Jesus. And I, I think that we're, we're grounded in this because when we think about the disciples and all those guys following Jesus, for how many of those dudes do you think their truth was the same as Jesus' truth when they first started following him? Oh, heck no. Those suckers are like, hey, you want me to call down fire? I'll get the fire. I'll do it. <laughs> and then they were sharing last night, hey, can I be the best? Put me on your left, put me on your right. Like, even up to the end, the sucker's truth was not congruent with the Father's truth. But what did they do? They kept following, and they kept following, and they kept following, until historically, we hear that the end of the story is that the large majority of those original disciples, except for just a couple, each were martyred for pursuing the same truth that the Father pursued. So if you find yourself in a space where, like, man, I... I don't know if I want to. Or the people that I'm discipling, I don't know if they want to. This, the solution is really simple. Spend more time with Jesus. I wish it was fancier than that. And if we don't sense the urgency to share our faith and to make disciples, or to find our personal comfort more compelling, the solution is simple. Just spend more time with Jesus. Abide more. Time with the Father is the absolute only thing that I've found has power to transform my truth, to transform my heart's desires. Great books, great talks, those are compelling, but ultimately my time with the Father is the most transformative thing in my life. Mary gave you very practical steps the first night of our talk about what it can look like to have meaningful time with Jesus. So that that transformation can begin to occur and you know, I'm not going to attempt to touch any of that. Obviously, she is an expert at that. Doesn't it just feel like God's talking to you when Mary talks? Oh, I'm just like, yes, I'll do anything you say. And then she brings the knife and she's like, oh, yes, yes, I'll do anything you say. It's, it's awesome. That's really, really good. So in full respect of Mary, I would add just one thing to the things that she offered about having meaningful time with Jesus. All of those are deeply spiritual and deeply meaningful, but I think something that I've been discovering in my life this year is that time with Jesus can be all of those things, but it can also, you guys can stone me if you want, but it can also be fun. It can also just be fun. And I'm not saying either or, I'm saying and, both and. This is, maybe you're gonna think I'm unspiritual, but the other day when things were still like alive outside, um, I was like, Jesus? Go to mow the grass. And you can go ahead and judge me. I'm, I'm 38. I told you that. So I'm like in dad sense. I literally have two children. So mowing the grass has a different feeling for me than it may have for you. Okay? So just go with it. Fine. 
All right, just drop it. So I'm like, Jesus, I enjoy having my grass all fresh and nice outside. Jesus, you want to go mow the grass? I don't know if he said anything, but he came. <laughs> he came. Bro, I'm mowing that grass, and um, I've got about two acres around my house because I want to be in the country, which means I've got to do more work. But it's nice because my neighbors aren't right on top of me. But anyways, I'm mowing, and um, and after enough of those, I can look and see the nice grass, the nice mowed stuff. And I don't know that I love mowing my grass, but I love my grass being mowed. I love it looking fresh. Jeremy, you like a fresh cut? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do too. And I like my grass to have a fresh cut. I don't discriminate. So when I'm looking <laughs> at my grass and I'm seeing it all fresh, I'm just, I've been talking to the Lord on this mower, and then I'm like, Jesus, man, that's, that's, I like my grass. That's stupid, right? But I like my fresh mowed grass. And then I hear the voice of God so clear, and he says, do you know why? And I'm like, why? <laughs> he says, because I like your fresh cut grass too. And you're like me. Because you're like me, you like the same things I like. I made that grass. And it looks great when it's freshly cut. You're right. You like that because you're like me. And my heart was moved and my heart was stirred. So when you guys are looking for opportunities to be with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, yes, get on your face before him and get snotty. Yes, study the word of God. Yes, just linger and all of that sort of stuff. But I think also find things that are just fun to do with him and choose to direct your heart and your thought and your mind to him in those moments and have conversation. And uh, I believe that you'll have very meaningful encounters and you'll begin to find transformation taking place in your heart. And it, it won't just be through just the very spiritual moments. It can be through some of the fun as well. So, that's evangelism and discipleship in a nutshell. So for the rest of the talk, what I'd like to do is I, I want to, to move off of the premise of that they're mutually inclusive. And I want to talk about our role a little bit in this whole thing. Okay, can we move? You guys with, with me on that premise, so let's move. So get this, the full power of the gospel is already prepared. The full power, all of it, completely done. It's been made and is ready to transform eternity for its years. It's done, friends. It's done. You don't have to wait for DoorDash to deliver it. Like, it's done. It's ready. And God has asked us do absolutely nothing for the actual transforming of souls. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, it says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shine out of the darkness. May his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, this is the important part. Don't miss it. Verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are invited to be vessels for the delivery of the gospel. We are garden hoses, friends. When you walk outside and this is maybe just a bad analogy, but we've already been mowing the grass, so we'll just go with it, right? So when you walk outside and you, you turn on your, your hose, you don't think, man, that's a nice garden hose. You don't do that. Like, no one is impressed with a garden hose. You just need some water, right? The water is the valuable thing. The water is the thing that, that brings life or that refreshes you or whatever. The garden hose just gets it to you. We are garden hoses for the gospel. We are earthen vessels that are filled with the power and with the treasure that is from above that does not make the garden hose or our lives more impressive or more fantastic. Our simple job is just to deliver the message. We are, at best, male people. Our commitment to humanity around us is just to deliver the message. Just to rain, sleet, or snow, to continue faithfully, consistently, to show up, 
delivering the message. What people do with that message is not our problem. I'm not trying to be cold with you, but I think sometimes if some of us are going to get set free to share our faith, we need to get over the fear of how people are going to react. We're so insecure, me included, about what are they going to think about me when I say this? What would, what, how would it change our relationship? All that gets in the way. It's not our job. Not our job. Our responsibility is to deliver the message. Hmm. Have you guys ever stood by your mailbox? And when the mail person shows up, the mailwoman, whatever, and she slides that electric bill in there, do you ever take it out and be like, you're charging me too much? <laughs> uh-uh, this water bill, incorrect. Do you do that? You don't fight with the mail person. If you have a problem with your electric bill, fool, call the electric company. <laughs> if you don't like your cell phone statement, call AT&T or Verizon or whatever people you're doing. You don't fight your mail person. You don't fight the person that sent you the email. Their job is simply to deliver the message. Guys, the body of Christ has to be set free from responsibility of securing outcomes when we share our faith. If we are continually bound by the fear of people's reactions, we will never open our mouths for this treasure that has already been prepared. We just get to be clay vessels. That's it. At best, clay vessels that bring, that herald this incredible truth to people for their transformation. Deliver the truth. Responsible to offer the truth, but not for what they do with it. If we were responsible, check this out, we'll go backwards. If we were responsible for the transformation of people's souls, let's just engage it for a moment, right? It's silly, but we're going to be here for a second. If we were responsible for the transformation of people's souls when they commit their lives to God, it would be for our glory and not His. So why are we trying to do that? I don't think any of us is like, hey, you know what? After I've led you to God and I've helped transform your souls, would you bow down and worship me? We don't do that. But the con conclusion is the same, that when we want to be responsible for the outcome of their decision, I got you saved, therefore I receive the glory for that. But if I'm in an earthen vessel, in an earthen vessel alone, and it is in fact the power from heaven that transforms your life, when that power transforms your life, I remain an earthen vessel and God receives glory. Further, if we were capable, if God was dependent upon you and me and all of us, and maybe this is going to make you unhappy or whatever, but if he, was, if he was dependent on me to transform somebody's life, I need to be Jesus, and I'm not. Maybe you guys are, but I'm not. My, my role is to be like Jesus to follow after Jesus, but ultimately, I'm a garden hose. So are you. The thing that is most powerful and has the ability to transform anybody's life is the thing that flows through us. We're vessels, we're male people at best. So maybe all that feels like a little exaggerated, a little dramatic, and I think that we could chase a thousand theological rabbit trails to try to like prop up all of that. But the simple truth that I'm wanting to offer to you is that we're not responsible for the outcome. Just the delivery. Allow God to do what God can do in the transformation of people's hearts and their lives, and don't get caught up on whether or not you could do that or not. So if we're going to have any hope of serving the Great Commission with our lives, then we've got to abandon all hope that we can change the people. We cannot. We must pursue the Father's heart until it becomes our heart, and we're compelled to share his truth for the transformation of their lives and not just populating our small groups, not just looking religious or spiritual, not just checking a box so our campus pastor or small group leader quits hounding us. When the Father's heart becomes our heart because we've spent extensive time with him and we begin to offer truth to the people for the transformation of their lives, all of that being wrapped within a commitment to live life with them and to walk through hard things and meaningful things our purpose and function is fulfilled in leading people to Jesus. He changes them. And then we get to choose to just offer ourselves as vessels to be filled with God's message of truth 
That's for anyone that will hear. I want to challenge you guys as we're, as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up. Purpose to employ sharing your faith and discipleship inclusively. Decide that you won't allow them in your mind. As, as you leave this room, you're going to decide, Jonathan, I already knew that. This was 50 minutes of waste of time. Well, you're welcome. But if you didn't, if you hadn't totally settled on that, as you leave, purpose in your mind that they will be the same. That I, I will not just share my faith for the purpose of uh, growing my small group. I'll not do outreach during the first four weeks of the semester and then forget about it the whole rest of the year. But this is a part of the Father's heart, and I spend time with the Father. Therefore, His heart that is breaking for lost people is my heart that's breaking for lost people. And because I've got four or five suckers showing up to my small group, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm no longer compelled to continue to share. So my hope for you is the purpose in your heart that as you leave, that evangelism is not simply a means to an end, but it is an overflow of love relationship with your Father. He loves lost people. He's done everything necessary for lost people to find him. And he's just looking for male people, just looking for garden hoses, just looking for earthen vessels. And purpose in your heart that you're going to pursue that mission, that message, that commission. Purpose in your heart that you'll be part of the vessels that's bringing his transformative truth to everybody until every tribe, every tongue, every nation has heard. Because until we get with the Father and compelled by the heart of the Father, we'll never be able to do that. So we've got a couple minutes left, and I need to hear from you how you want to spend this time. Um, we could take a couple minutes and just talk and do like Q&A kind of thing. Or I could share just like a really simple tool that helps me when I'm sharing just about faith and the gospel with people. So we're going to do this in a great way. Um, you must vote. Are you just killing me? Vote. Uh, so if you would like to just open it up, and I probably said a lot of offensive things in the course of 45 minutes, and you would need to ask some questions or you need to yell at me. If you want to do Q&A, raise your hands. Oh boy, oh boy, there's a couple. If you, okay, if you would like to not yell at me, or you don't have anything that you want to talk about anymore, but you'd like kind of a little tool that's sometimes helpful to share the gospel in your hands. All right, cool, we'll do that, and then maybe we can have a couple seconds to do some Q&A also. All right, you have notes? Yeah, let me give you my tool. So write these words from top to bottom, each one of them on their own line or their own space. Heaven? Man, God, Jesus, faith. Heaven, man, God, Jesus, faith. I don't do enough fingers that time, but you get it. Heaven, man, God, Jesus, faith. Cool? I think one of the challenges is that the majority of Christians, and when I talk to people about sharing their faith, and even, I don't know, you guys are probably experts, so let's not say you. Let's say any other group of people. If I said, hey, how would you share your faith? Or what would you tell with people? What would you tell people as you're sharing your faith? Bro, we'd be hearing all kinds of crazy things. My Aunt Betty one time, when she got done working at the sawmill, she came home and then she she saw some mildew in the bathroom and it was Jesus' faith. Jesus' faith. Can you believe that? So I just leave right there. I need to get to church. You want to go to church with me? Like people will say crazy things. They'll just say crazy things. So it's less and less now, and I'm not sure what your campuses are like, but my campus is I, as I just am meeting random students, more and more of them have never heard a presentation of the gospel. The majority of them, for years, my, my first five or six years was characterized by students that had heard weird presentations of the gospel. If you don't do this right now, you're going to hell, right? That kind of stuff. Less and less, more and more, they just haven't heard. And that makes this tool really important. One, because you don't want to tell people weird crap. There's no power in weird crap. That's just like weird stuff, all right? So you need to make sure that as you're sharing the gospel, you are actually sharing the gospel and not Aunt Betty's weird experience, okay? So this tool helps me kind of be on track and make sure that at the end of this conversation, I've actually shared the gospel, okay? So heaven, man, God, Jesus, faith. Heaven is a free gift. 
do for you is I want to build a little bit of a roadmap. And for me, I call this the bones of the gospel. So I'm going to build a little bit of a roadmap for you so that when you're having a conversation with someone, you at least know some of the, the checkpoints along the way of getting to the destination. Cool? And I don't, I don't suppose sometimes, you guys realize, do you guys do Google Maps? Google Maps is getting all fancy. Hey, you want the green leaf fuel efficiency way? It's going to take 25 minutes longer. Sometimes, I'm not trying to save gas. Sometimes, my happy butt just wants to get there. I'm late, right? So when you're sharing the gospel, sometimes some of these particular points may not always come up. And you just have to be discerning by the Holy Spirit which points need to be shared. But to know all of them is going to help you give an authentic presentation of the gospel versus something weird. Cool? Heaven is a free gift that cannot be earned or deserved. Heaven, man. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. God is merciful, but he's also just. for this because it's very contextualized for me. Um, but the next one is Jesus bridges the gap. Basically what that, that's communicating is that Jesus makes a way for us to get from where all of our dumb crap is and the weight of our sin to restore connected relationship with the Lord. But you can contextualize that however you need to. And then the last one is faith. Faith is the process by which we take hold of the things of God and we begin that relationship. Let me take just a couple seconds to illuminate on each of those. It's important for people to know when you're talking about heaven that no one earns their way to heaven. And the result of your goodness or badness does not determine your future. Very, very common when I ask people about their, their relationship with God or whether or not they think that heaven is something that they're looking forward to, they describe it in context of their personal goodness. Personal righteousness is not enough. You can be the stinking Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa, and that in and of itself does not gain you entrance into heaven, okay? Heaven is a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. So the heaven point on your roadmap is to help you have a conversation about personal goodness, in earning your way to heaven. It doesn't work. Man, you've got to let people know, and I know sometimes this hurts people's feelings, but we need to understand that we are, in fact, sinful. We're sinful. We've done bad things. And the reason that we have separated relationship from God it is the culmination, is the consequence of those awful things that we've done. I don't have any trouble getting students to confess to this when I talk to them. Have you done awful stuff in your life, things that you're not proud of? Oh, heck yeah. But if we say, hey, you're a sinner, you're awful, they'll be like, bro, don't come at me. Right? So you can present this truth to people as you're having a conversation with them, but you don't have to do it in an attacking way. Cool? Heaven, man, God. A lot of the trouble that I find with university students when it comes to God is they want him to be just a God of love, right? Can't y'all just cuddle? Mmm, so good. Right? Like that's the God that everybody wants. They want sugar daddy Buddha God. Right, that just does nice things for them. God is infinitely merciful and infinitely kind, but he's also, friends, infinitely just. And he would not be a just judge if there were never any consequences for the dumb crap that we do. It'd be anarchy, it'd be crazy, it'd be all um, humanistic living, that you decide you're good and it's fine. What happens when your good infringes upon my good? Well, let's not think about it, just you do your good. Right? So in this particular point, we need to have a conversation about understanding that, yes, God is merciful. It's also just. There are consequences for the dumb things that we do. Jesus can be any type of conversation that you want it to be. You guys have personal relationship with Jesus. And the idea is really what needs to be driven home is that Jesus pays the price for all the dumb crap that we've done. So that would need to come across in that conversation. That Jesus pays the price. 
God is merciful, and he hasn't stopped becoming merciful, but someone had to pay the price. And God and his incredible love arrange as a way for that to happen through his son, Jesus. Okay? So we're not going into deep theology, we're just having an introductory conversation about the gospel. Okay? Final thing, faith. Faith is a process by which we choose to transfer our trust. And if I could leave just one little thought with you, is faith isn't just believing. There's lots of people that believe in all kinds of stuff. I don't know if this is news to you, but do you know, do you know that the devil believes in God? He believes in Jesus too. You've probably seen him. Have you seen him? You probably haven't seen him. He's seen him and he believes in him. He's not going to heaven. So the idea that faith is believing, I, be, I believe in a higher power. I believe in God. Cool, that's not faith. Faith is a transfer of trust. It is exchanging, I will not be the person that calls the shots in my life. Now you are. I will trust you with my life. You call the shots. I want to receive all of the stuff that you're providing, but then in exchange, I'm offering lordship. I'm extending lordship. Cool? So that's important when we're talking about the faith part. Not just believing, transfer of trust. So that's helpful for me after I've had conversation with someone to know, have I talked through some of those things? Are we on the right track? Um, and I don't think that all of those things have to happen in every single conversation. I'm not telling you to leave the hotel and then on your drive home, attack 14 like gas station attendants and like make them listen to you share all of this. That's weird. Don't do that. The Lord leads you to do that. Do that. But for the most part, don't do that. But I want you, as someone that knows and has personal encounter with Jesus, to be able to filter that personal encounter through solid theology. So that's what I was trying to offer you. Just a clear, cohesive, no mildew in the shower kind of presentation <laughs> of the gospel. Cool? We're out of time. Thank you guys so much for being here and being attentive. <laughs> You're awesome.